As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. On this edition of the Cubs Talk podcast, I talk with Gordon Wittenmeyer, our great Cubs insider, and Lance McAllister of the big one, WLW. He's a Reds broadcaster and the number one talk show host in Cincinnati. We talk about should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame, our favorite players we watch play, and a whole lot of baseball. Let's play two. Welcome to another edition of our Cubs Talk podcast brought to you by our great partners at Wintrust, home of Cubs checking with my guy Gordon Wittmeyer, our great Cubs insider. I'm David Kaplan. We've got our producers Jeff Nelson and Tony Gill, and we've got Lance McAllister, WLW, the big one, Reds inside pitch, Reds post game, and he's also a diehard baseball aficionado. Gordo, great to see you. Lance, great to have you joining us, man. Sparkles, great to be here. Uh, Just talking Reds baseball for a change. I've talked nothing but Bengals for the last uh, month, it seems, so I'll take any baseball conversation I can get. So Gordon and I have been discussing a bunch of different topics. I'm going to ask you, do you think we play baseball in 2020? Yeah, I think it's clearly going to be a uh, a sprint to the finish in a condensed race, and I don't know if that's 50 games, 60 games, hopefully, you know, 100. But uh, I think in some way, shape, or form, there's there's enough on the line financial and everything else. There'll be some creative plan that kind of falls in the middle of all the ideas thrown around that will lend itself to some form of a season. Gordon? Yeah, I I go back to what we said last time, Cap. Uh, Tony Fauci says it's possible. That tells me it's possible. And uh, you see some of these other reports, there's a lot of people in baseball that are counting on it. Uh, they're, they're, they're so incentivized. I think when you see some of these states opening up, and not just the, not just the red states, but places like uh, Minnesota opening up because they think they've got some things under control, that's a good sign too. And I think there'll be a way to do it. I don't think it's going to be perfect. There's no way for it to be, uh, you know, hermetically sealed. But there'll be something. And hopefully it goes along well enough with enough contingencies in place that we don't get a start and a stop like we've already seen um, over in uh, Japan. So, Lance, the Reds pushed their chips in, so to speak, in this offseason, Gordon and I were talking about it earlier today before we started, that 
Trevor Bauer was brought here, not for last year, for this year. And some of the other moves, they made signings. Mike Moustakis is there to try and run down the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Brewers and get back to relevancy. How does this affect their plan? Because Trevor Bauer may not be a Red after this year. Yeah, they had uh, they had created so much momentum and really changed the dynamic in this city of how the fan base viewed it. I mean, they were coming off, let's be honest, six straight losing seasons. They've had 16 losing seasons in the last 19. And this rebuild was not going as planned. And they looked around this offseason and decided to, as you say, push in the chips. And they spent $160 million in free agency. The money they gave Moustakis and the money they gave Castellanos were the two biggest deals they've given free agents to bring into this organization in the history of the franchise. So you'd added Moustakis and Castellanos. They went to Japan for the first player in Shogo. They added a starting pitcher in Wade Miley. They added Pedro Strope from the Cubs. And all of this was geared towards, and with Trevor Bauer, you're, you're exactly right. That trade wasn't about the, the stretch run of last season. It was all about this season and there was such a momentum built. I remember the day spring training officially shut down, having Dick Williams on there, their uh, president of baseball ops. And, and in the middle of the conversation about what they were doing, shutting things down, he kind of paused and he said, and Lance, I really liked our team. And you just got that sense throughout that organization. They had ramped up perfectly to the start of the open, the open of the season. They were ready to go. The division was vulnerable. That, that played into why they did this now, along with the fact they'd simply missed on some parts of the rebuild. They were ready to go for not just a you know, winning season. They were ready to go for a division title. Hey, Lance, did I hear you say that Dick Williams used the past tense? I really liked our team. I, I, I think he meant it in the, in the sense of the way they looked in spring training going to opening day as they were going to board up the planes and head back under a normal plan. He really liked the way they had used the last three weeks to kind of ramp up to pitchers are ready, uh, the offense was clicking, guys were going to be able to, to be healthy enough, whether it was Nick Senzel or Eugenio Suarez. It was like all systems were, were green light go for this team, and then all heck broke loose. Well, I, here's another side of that coin, possibly. Yeah, tell me if tell me if you think this at all. Is there any advantage to a season, assuming a season gets played, assuming there's a, a significant number of games that get played? Is there an advantage to it being delayed? You guys had you had a couple guys dinged up, Sinzel and Suarez that both had I think shoulder things, and Castellanos was sick for quite a while. Uh, is it is it possible there's a benefit? Absolutely. And you hit on the two key things. As much as guys like Senzel and Suarez were trending in the right direction, you know, there was a thought that A. Eugenio might miss, you know, the first week, 10 days, two weeks of the season. Senzel was going to be iffy and whether he could make the throw from the outfield with the shoulder that early in the year. Um, this was going, this has cleared the way for that. And all indications are that they're doing well. Um, they've got, if it's, if it's a sprint of 50 or 60 games with the starting pitching they have, that plays to their advantage. Joey Votto doesn't have to go through the grind of 162 games. He wasn't going to play that many, but he's older. He's 36 years old. It's not going to be the grind of a season. A lot played to, yeah, being ready to uh, when the, the the bell rings to get after it for this team. Yeah, I wondered if uh, if it, it if there were an a how many advantages there were for the Cubs because they have an aging rotation. Is does that mean it's better if 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 the innings counts aren't as high? Uh, they don't have a deep bullpen. Uh, they can't really afford injuries. So, so if the if there's less stress on the pitchers, but there might be more stress because there might be more games per week. There might be double headers built in. Uh, it's 
it's a, it's a really, from that standpoint, it's really fascinating to, to look at it. The Cardinals had some dinged up guys too. Uh, it just seems maybe the Reds might be best equipped. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to think Cardinals had a couple guys injured. Uh, Brewers are taking a step back. Pittsburgh wasn't going to be a factor. Reds might be as equipped as anybody to take advantage of a 80 game season. Yeah, you know, on that point, from the from the starting pitching standpoint, there's no question the Reds have excellent starting pitching. But if guys are only going to be asked to go four or five based on the, the way the, the ramp up goes with the restart, the Reds did a much better job of addressing their bullpen this offseason and have multiple inning arms in that pen, Michael Lorenzen and Amir Garrett, guys like that. So they are much better positioned than a year. The pitching was really good a year ago, but guys didn't go deep into games and they didn't have the bullpen. And suddenly it was piecing together inning six through nine and they just didn't have it. This season they have it. And I think to your point, Gordon, it, it plays very much to their favor this time. What is the perspective of a guy in Cincinnati who keeps having to send me food because the Cubs have a better record no matter how many I <laughs> spot you? What is the perspective of the Cubs as they – see the window start to close, at least, on this core. Yeah, I, um, I, I think not just the Cubs, but the division. I said it before, and I'll say it again. The, the Reds viewed this division as there for the taking, as vulnerable. Um, they Keep in mind, they, the Reds took Moustakas away from the Brewers. They, they took Castellanos away from the Cubs. Azuna uh, is off the Cardinals. Um, the, the Cubs with a, a new manager. The, the, the payroll, there was an activity there. Um, what can Darvish be this season for the Cubs? There's still core pieces that know how to win a championship on that Cubs team. But I think in a, in a general sense, one of the reasons the Reds were this aggressive in addition to the rebuild really not going as planned. I mean, think of it. For all the losing the Reds did in the positioning of draft picks being uh, prime picks, they still had to go out and get a second baseman, a right fielder, and a center fielder this season in free agency. But I think coupled with where the division was right now, they said, you know what, we, 75 wins – if we can jump this thing and move up while the rest of the division takes a step back, we're going to meet them in that dogfight and have a chance in the National League Central this year. Yeah, or even more likely if the rest of the division just doesn't even move much. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's what it looks like. I might understand that you guys bet every year on which of those two teams is going to win the most games. Yeah, and I keep having to spot him games, right? whether 19 games in 2016 well, or now, whatever. Now wait a minute. Wait, let, let, let's you should also have just head. You should have just bet head to head. Yeah, let, let me, let's backtrack a little bit, Cap, because there were this bet was going on in 2010, 12, and 13 when the Reds made the playoffs, and your team was losing almost 100 games. So I lived high off the hog on Chicago food for a period of time. Let the record show. He did, and then the Cubs got good, and he hasn't been well, able to stop shipping ribs to me. Short-term memory. But let's also, uh, for the record, let's put this on the record. Last year, I had not heard from you. One week into the season, I remember the text and the call, hey, uh, what are we doing with the bet? And I, I want to say you guys are like one in five, and you said, I'm not betting this year. And I said, that is such a cap move. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't part of, well, not at that point. But by, by this time last year, I think the Reds had taken a piece out of them too. Yes. No question. So, Lance, I was telling Gordon, you are a huge Pete Rose fan. I don't know Gordon's answer to this. I've never asked him. Does Gordon Wittenmeyer believe Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame or because he violated the most egregious rule in the game, sorry, you can't get in? That is a question that evolves. 
because mm-hmm. at the at the time and with the investigation with the cut and dried nature of that rule and he knew it and how long he'd been in the game it was it was not uh, it was a fair it was a fair punishment now he also had a chance to take a, a temporary uh banned from the game and he, and he uh, chose not to because that wouldn't have allowed him to uh, appeal. Since he's appealed, he's continued to lie. That's what's kept him out. That's what's kept him out of the game. So, had, yeah, under the circumstances, under those evolving circumstances where he just has refused to come clean when it would have helped him the most, yeah, he's made his own bed. Lance, would you like to – Give us your opinion on your guy, Peter Edward Rose. Well, as you can imagine, Cap, uh, this has been – this is a regular topic on Sports Talk Radio in this town, and it has been for going on 30-plus years. Um, And, look, as time goes on, it becomes more difficult because people see the the human being uh, side of Pete and whether that's the the, the young girls or the gambling or just – Stuff that really makes you, it's repulsive uh, the deeper you get into it. But I maintain what he did as a player is certainly Hall of Fame worthy. And and I say the same thing about uh, Roger Clemens and and Barry Bonds. Those performances happened, and Major League Baseball can't erase those performances. Um, I've never understood the problem with, I've been to the Hall of Fame with my dad and my son, and I I don't understand the problem years from now taking my grandkids and and standing in front of a a plaque that has Peter Edward Rose on it that says was the all-time hits leader, played in 1972 winning games, the most in the history of the game, was known for his hustle, but also was uh, one who bet on baseball and uh, brought shame onto the game of baseball. I still think there's there's a way that can be meshed together, but from a human being standpoint, he, there's no question. He's a miserable human being. I'll say this. I'm more on board with the idea of Pete Rose being in there than the PED guys. I'm um, with Gordon 100%, especially since it took him a while, but Pete has apologized and admitted it. And and if we're talking about him during his playing days, I mean, no, nobody played the game harder. I mean, he was, he was crazy. But I, I loved watching him as a kid. I loved him. And uh, I had a chance, you know, early in my uh, sports writing career in the late 80s, I had a chance to run into him as a manager and, and you know, not necessarily the easiest guy for me to deal with that day. But it, it was a good encounter. If you want, me, if you want, I'll tell you the story. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will take that, uh, that story. And also, I want to see if Lance knows who Pete Rose replaced as Reds manager and how your brain trust actually hired the guy before Pete. It's making the news again today. We'll talk about that after we take this quick time out. Our Cubs Talk podcast, I'm with Gordon Whitmire and our special guest, Lance McAllister, from the big one, WLW and Reds Radio, right here on NBC Sports Chicago, brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. Southside legends are back on NBC Sports Chicago. Every day at 4, relive wins from the 2005 season with White Sox Rewind. Go to NBCSportsChicago.com slash Sox Rewind for the complete schedule. Welcome back on our Cubs Talk podcast with Gordon Whitmire and our special guest, Reds broadcaster Lance McAllister, also the number one talk show host in the Queen City of Cincinnati. He covers Reds baseball and has for a long, long time. I'm David Kaplan. Our podcast is always brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. So before we went to break, Gordon, you had an interaction you were going to tell us about. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just be real quick. It was uh, 1988. And I was doing, I was working for the Fort Lauderdale paper in my early 20s. And they sent me around Florida to, to stop in one camp a day and do a preview and a feature. It was before the Marlins uh, existed. And when I got up to, well, the Reds were playing a, a road game, maybe in Dunedin or something like that. And I tried to get Pete Rose on one of his uh, players. And he blew me off before the game. And he blew me off after the game. And I thought, God dang. So... I drove to Plant City about a half hour behind the bus. And, you know, that's a little bit of a haul. And I got out there. By the time I got out there, there were no cars in the parking lot or anything, except just maybe a couple. And I thought, geez, I missed everybody. And I walked in the building. You know, there was nobody nobody there. And uh, I heard uh, some noise down the hall. So I walked down the hall, and uh, there was a, a, an open door. And there was Pete Rose at his desk in the manager's office. And I kind of knocked on the, on, the door, on the door frame. And I, I, I said, uh, you have time now? <laughs> and, and he just kind of looked at me stunned. And he said, all right, what do you got? And he answered all my questions. And then I said, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I headed out the door and he stopped me before I got to the door. And he said, what was your name again? And I told him and who I worked for. And he said, all right. And I, I said, well, thanks again. And, and I, I left and I thought, he, he appreciated that I hustled. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why it's funny how little things you do, like like Gordon doesn't even know this, but when they were hiring for the Cubs insider job, you know, they had this list of different people, this and that, and Joe Girardi is interviewing for the Cubs managerial job. And one guy in the entire city stakes that thing out for like eight hours and gets the picture and a brief comment nobody else and the bosses at NBC Sports Chicago said to me okay that guy's amazing he's the only guy that did that and he was already on their list but he rocketed past everybody by a mile so wow funny how you know how little things happen okay so here's the story who was the manager that Pete Rose replaced it was Vern Rapp a very poor manager okay so this story, Gordon, you have to read it. MLB.com has it today. The harmless practical joke that changed baseball. October 2nd, 1983, the Boston Red Sox, their fans of the baseball world, said goodbye to Hall of Famer Carl Yastrzemski. There was a massive production at Fenway Park for his final game, an hour-long pregame ceremony, the retirement of his number eight jersey, and a letter read aloud to the capacity crowd from President Ronald Reagan. For a team that hadn't reached a World Series in eight years and hadn't won in 65, it was the biggest Red Sox story imaginable. But that night, Boston Sports Talk Radio Show, the sports huddle on then WHDH, wasn't talking about Yastrzemski at all. They decided all this stuff's over the top. They decided to pick the most obscure Major League Baseball player they'd ever heard of and do a tribute show to him. So they scoured rosters and found out that there was a 55-year-old coach from the Montreal Expos who was retiring. Nobody else wanted him. He was done. His name was Vern Rapp. They started getting people on that he had played with or against during his playing days, his coaching days, and they found out he had spent a little time in Cincinnati. So they get on a guy by the name of Sheldon Bender. He was the Reds player personnel director. He starts talking about Vern Rapp and thinks to himself, boy, our team has no discipline. We need a tough guy like this. And by going on that radio show, they ended up hiring Vern Rapp 
who was such a disaster, he didn't last a complete year. Lance, do you remember those days? You know, it, it, as you as you recall all that, I, I flash to the 70s and think of what had become of a proud franchise. I mean, in the 70s, they go to the World Series in 70, 72, 75, 76, Big Red Machine. And by that point in their history, it, it just it, it had crumbled. The Big Red Machine pieces were gone, and, and they're hiring managers at the, at the whim of a sports talk radio show interview in Boston. That That's what Reds baseball had become at that point. Yeah, they fired Russ Nixon. His contract was up. They said, you're out. And they hired this guy, and the players hated him. And they end up launching him. So, and then they wind up hiring one of the players. So if you had to put Gordon and Lance, your Mount Rushmore of your four favorite players you've ever covered, doesn't oh, have wow. to be Reds or Cubs, four favorite players that you went, I like watching those four guys. Doesn't even have to be people you interacted with, but people you loved watching in this great sport. Gordon, who would your four be? I'd start with Ken Griffey Jr. Yep. Um, Tory Hunter. Yep. I like center fielders. Um, Javi Baez. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody. You know what? I just because he it it was so incredibly powerful to watch him pitch. Uh huh. Randy Johnson. Yeah, he was amazing. Lance, who would be on your list? Uh, I'd give you three, and I'd have to go with Pete, because for my purposes, Pete's the greatest storyteller I've ever had a chance to talk with, and it's always amazed me that you could you could ask him about a game in 1974 at Shea Stadium on a Friday night, and he could tell you what he did against John Matlack or Jerry Kuzman in that game, and it's just that recall fascinates me. Uh, Sean Casey, who's the, the most bubbly personality and friend, friendliest guy I've ever met, and as you know, Cap, we, we named our, our son after him. Um, and, and Joey Votto, uh, to go inside the mind of Joey Votto and talk hitting uh, is one of the most fascinating things that, that I've ever had a chance to do, how, uh, how seriously he takes it, uh, how analytically uh, inclined he is in his approach. Um, it, I, I'm mesmerized by, by sitting next to him each year at the, at the Reds Fest, the, the equivalent of your Cubs convention, and just asking him about different pitches or different pitchers and hearing him uh, kind of process what he does at the plate. So th- those three I would find the most fascinating to talk with. Yeah, I love watching Mike Trout play. Like, I'll find myself going, I got to go to sleep, but the Angels are on. I got to stay up watching bat one more time. I'm a huge Mike Trout guy. And then I have a son who has special needs. I wrote a letter to somebody I know, Gordon knows, Tim Mead. Mm-hmm. And Tim Mead now runs the Hall of Fame, but he was the Angels Media Relations Director. I said, hey, man, you don't know me. I broadcast for the Cubs. I'm coming out there. I've got a son who's got special needs, and he worships Mike Trout, as every kid does. If I got there for batting practice or any way, he could just sign his jersey. I text Tim Mead when we get in the ballpark. It's empty. They're just coming out. And – he said, uh, Mike's not going to play tonight. He pulled his hamstring last night, so he's out. He'd like to meet with your son. Follow me. And oh, 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 the wow. two of them walk away for like 15 minutes, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And it's Mike Trout engaging my son in whatever chatter that was coming off of Brett's head that day. And I thought, this guy gets it. Signed his hat. Signed his jersey. Hey, Brett, thanks for being a big fan. I will never forget that, and I love watching him play. I'm also going to go with Ken Griffey, but it's the Seattle Ken Griffey, not the Cincinnati. Sorry, That's the one Lance. I'm talking about. Yeah. He was ridiculous. I love to watch Frank Thomas hit. 
And when I was a little kid, I wore number 10 because of Ron Santo. So those would be my four. Nice. So, Lance, when you look at the state of the game today, Gordon's been covering it a long time. So have you and I, but he's there every single day. What changes would you like to see come to the sport that maybe kids, like we were all little kids, we loved the sport. Little kids today are like, yeah, I don't know about baseball. It's too slow. What would well, you change? I, and I, I've evolved because I, I'm a, um, I, I'm like the, the purest. I, I didn't like change in the game for the longest time. But as I have grown up and I, I, I never used to like the sport of soccer. I used to always joke on the air. It was a, it was a communist plot designed to chip away at the very foundation of our country and the parents could, should keep their kids away. And then my daughter started playing soccer and I, I had to spend every weekend at a different traveling event. Um, I, I'm a big soccer fan. We've now got a MLS team in town, and the pace to me is the biggest thing. I just don't have – I, I, I say two things. If somebody were to invent baseball today and hold a news conference and say, hey, we're, we've got this new sport, it's baseball, we're going to play 162 games from April through October, and games are going to take about three hours a, a day, people look at you like you had four heads, and they say, that's never going to work in this day and age. So I would, and I was always against this, but I would shorten the season and I, I would find ways. I, I, I don't care if it takes cutting the, the ad revenue or not in commercial times. I would pick up the pace of games because it's much more enjoyable for me as a diehard baseball fan to know I can walk into a, a stadium and watch FC Cincinnati soccer and know that it's going to be 90 minutes of action plus a halftime and I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. There's no stoppages for the most part as opposed to watching a baseball game that, that drags. And I, I get the nuance of the game. I love the analytics of the game. But the drag of the baseball game today, I, it's just it's hard for me to deal with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm glad you said that because I've been telling people for years, nobody would invent this game. If you really think about it, there is the, the objects of the game anymore are, are not – there's nothing entertaining about it. Yeah. And, and, and so you couldn't sell it. And, and it's, so it's, it's not even marketable. And I, it's funny because uh, it's kind of an inside joke. And, and uh, every once in a while, I'll say something to Jed Hoyer or, or even Theo and say, you know, you guys did this. <laughs> this is your fault. You guys did this in Boston. The grinder at bats, the, the, all the, 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 the hyper analytics of everything. And I get it. I completely get it. But, you know, to suggest that bunts and stolen bases um, and ground ball pitchers who pitch to contact are things you don't want and can't have because you can't win with it. I understand that from a micro level, from a macro level, you're destroying the game because balls in play are the game. That's the game. Catching the ball and throwing the ball and the things that, that transpire in between is the game. If, if everything's a walk or, or a home run or a strikeout, then you're, you're, you've lost you've lost the object of the game. So I don't know how you fix that. Uh, pace is a big part of it, but, but it's, it's even more than that. Uh, maybe you just go back to a dead ball era. That might do it. Yeah. I, I was the guy who always said, no, I want 162 and don't put a DH in the national league and all of this. And now, you know, talking with my kids, like Brett, my youngest, loves baseball, and he could sit there and watch an eight-hour game. The other three are like, meh, it's either a home run, a strikeout, occasionally a ball play. I'm with you guys. Speed the freaking game up. Cut the season down. And if the players got to get paid a little less money because there's not as much ad revenue, figure it the frick out. Enough guys make enough money 
put the DH in the National League. I don't need to see Pedro Strope, who's now a red, by the way, pull his hamstring in September trying to run out an infield single. Like, all that stuff's stupid. And let's get this bat flips. Bring him on. I don't that. That's why Javi Baez, I so love watching play. Well, well hey, Captain, Captain Gordon made the point uh, of the inactivity. I mean, I, I go back to when my son played baseball when he was six, seven years old. I watch all the kids in the field, and and, and pitcher, the kids can't throw strikes, and it's walk, 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 and kids are standing with the glove on their head. They're picking dandelions. That's what baseball's become today. There's not enough action. Baseball today is Adam Dunn. It's the three true outcomes. It's a home run. It's, it's a it's a walk. It's a strikeout. There, there's not enough running around and catching and throwing. And, and I'm talking about down to the level of not being able to grow kids because there's not enough action to keep them interested to play it when they're six or seven years old. So, so is Javi, is the genius of Javi Baez just that he's so different and athletic and he does things that, that other people haven't done? Or is he doing things that other people have done in some respect? Is it because his spectacular plays defensively, his spectacular slides around tags, and his spectacular tags themselves are unique to today's game? And, you know, and, and, you know, but Mazeroski made a living out of, out of a uh, defensive play at second base, for instance. And, and we don't know about that. We, you know, he played in the, in the shadows of everybody else in Pittsburgh and there wasn't a lot of TV. So, so he's not famous for that. Um, but people that watched him every day, he was pretty entertaining. Um, we don't see much of that anymore. So it, it is when you look at what's exciting in the game, it's when balls are in play. Yes, when balls are in play. Is there a player that you despised as a fan, Lance, that you went, I hate watching that freaking guy because he kills my team? Well, there, there's two that are known here in, in this city traditionally as Reds killers. Uh, Lance Berkman, uh, uh, when he was with the Astros, and even today, Yadier Molina, uh, uh, this, he's public enemy number one. This city doesn't like the, the Cardinals. They never liked Tony La Russa, and they certainly don't like Yadier Molina, but I respect the hell out of the guy. And if I wanted somebody behind the plate who could call a game and, and was the kind of the spirit of a team, uh, Yadier Molina's a stud from that standpoint. Yeah, I always hated watching Yadier Molina bat against the Cubs. It drove me freaking crazy. And Even Pujols, if they needed a single. And Albert Pujols, that guy. It was like, you just knew it was going to happen. If it was the ninth inning and one of those guys was up with the game on the line. It's over. Game's over. And it's funny because there was a game against the Cubs one day. They've got a tie game. It's the eighth inning. It's first and second. Nobody out and Pujols is up. And he lays down a freaking bunt. Gets the guys to second and third. Next guy up is Molina. Base hit. Ball game over. Maybe you got a sack fly. And I went up to Tony La Russa the next day. I said, you bunted with Albert Pujols? He goes, the name of the game isn't to score three runs there. The name of the game is to score one. And our guys in spring training, they learn how to bunt. I don't care if it's Albert Pujols. If I think that's the best way to put, he called it a mark, a mark on the scoreboard, I'm going to do it. And I remember talking to whoever was with the Cubs at the time, Hendry and maybe Quaddy, and they couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, that's why the Cardinals win, and we don't. I watched uh, Pujols steal a base in the ninth inning, too. Unexpected. Like, you know, 10 years into his career when he wasn't stealing any bases, and not that he stole a lot, but he stole a base, got in scoring position, and scored the winning run. That's what winning organ. That's why I, I say this with all peace and love to the Cardinals. They're an amazing organization. They are. 
They can let Albert Pujols walk and just keep on clicking. And they've made their share of mistakes, no doubt about it. But they have had, oh, I don't know, they've won 11 rings. The Cubs have won one in 120 years, 112 years. That team, I hate the St. Louis Cardinals simply because they're our arch rival and they always kicked our ass. But we always joke here that Cardinals who are the Reds want to be when they grow up. I mean, from market size to attendance, we the, the question is why can't we be more like the Cardinals? And as obnoxious as it sounds, that Cardinal way is a way that the Reds haven't figured out and it, uh, it drives people nuts around here. Mm. Hey, Lance, uh, I got an off-the-wall question for you. Yeah. So something uh, away from some of this other stuff we're talking about. We mentioned Castellanos earlier, and he's a guy that uh, every fan around here fell in love with right away last summer and wanted him back and the whole thing. The The storyline about him in spring training was when he got a real bad case of the flu, but that was before we knew much about coronavirus. And, and he was out for a long time, and it surprised some of us just from a distance how long he was out. Is there any talk or word whether he might have got coronavirus? You know, that's a great question. Uh, that's the first time I've had that posed that way. But as I reflect back, you're right. There was that uh, that time. And certainly now players are, are out of sight, out of mind, and, and rarely do we have an opportunity to talk with them. But I, I think that's a legitimate question. I, I, my, my wife will tell you that I was sick back in December, lost 13 pounds and ran a fever of 102. And, and wow. doctors tested me for the flu twice. They couldn't believe it was negative. They finally said, we think you have pneumonia. My wife will swear to this point that, that I had uh, COVID-19 and, and got through it. So I, that's a great question about Castellanos. Yeah, I got I sick leaving Soxfest. Cubs convention in Soxfest in January. At the end of the month, I'm like, something's not right here. I had a fever the whole deal. And then four other people, Layla Rahimi we work with, and three or four others in the office, they all got sick. And we're thinking, did we have it? Like, I would love to know if I have the yes. antibodies. Yes. I, I don't know. Yeah, I got really sick after Cubs convention, too. Like it started hitting me a couple days later, two, three, four days later, and then hit me really hard the next weekend. So do you guys think we will ever, ever get back to the point where there's 42,000 at Wrigley or Great American Ballpark and your team just gets a big hit to score two runs and you turn and high five the person next to you? Do you think we'll ever get back to that again? Because I can tell you, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable shaking hands with people again, many of whom I know don't wash their hands. I think people our age will. I think people 10, 20 years younger than us will. Kids today, maybe not, because uh, they, they might grow up with a different reality. But, yeah, we, got, we have short memories, especially in America. And we'll, when, when this thing, when we're back to being in crowds again, I think uh, the human nature of that is going to come back really quickly. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be fascinating because, you know, the, the, the phrase the new normal is thrown around and kept used the word ever, um, ever is a, a long time. I, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I find it, it fascinating from the plans that Major League Baseball has, has been spitballing to all the other sports and the considerations being made and what it, you, you close your eyes and envision what it could be like and spacing in a ballpark, seats every third seat taken. I, it, it's going to be, it, it's going to be fascinating to see what, uh, what things are like uh, three months from now, six months from now, six years from now. Well, guys, it's been a lot of fun talking baseball for the last half an hour or so. Uh, Lance, stay safe, stay healthy. Gordon, same thing to you. And Lance, uh, I'll take a six-game bulge you're going to give me. You'll get spot me six games, and I'll make the bet with you. 
They might only play 25, Cap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this year, Lance? We do it straight up. Uh, okay, yeah, you're on. We'll go straight up. You got it. Cincinnati Delights versus Chicago Delectables. You got it. Gordon, you and I will split when we beat him. <laughs> you're ridiculous. All right, you guys have a great day. A lot of fun talking baseball. That is a wrap for this edition of the Cubs Talk Podcast, sponsored by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Jeff Nelson and Tony Gill. I'm David Kaplan. We'll see you next time on the Cubs Talk Podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.